Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Are we alive? We're good? Um, y'all, y'all sing. I think I say this every time, but I have these, the headphones in during worship, so I don't get a I don't get to hear the people singing, and it's just so encouraging to my heart. But welcome, welcome to Good Shepherd. If this is your first time, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but um, we welcome you. I would love to, to meet you. I know all of the staff would love to hang out, grab coffee, take you to lunch. It'll be on the church, so we'll put it in Austin's budget. So, um, <laughs> but we would love to. I'd love to hang out with you. So I know the natural tendency is if this is your first Sunday, it's like service ends, and it is the fastest way to the door. But please, there are people all around, there's staff up front who would love to hang out with you. Um, but otherwise, we welcome. I'm excited. If you haven't been here for the past few weeks, we've been in this series called Wonder to Many, right? And it comes from Psalm 71, and that word wonder is inspired by the word portent, which is both fear and trembling, but also awe and wonder, right? That, and, and what the psalmist is getting at is that as people around us look at our lives, there should be a sense of wonder, that, that, that the way we're, we're raising our children, the way that we're stewarding our finances, the way that we work, that there's something amazing on the Christian life that it causes the people around us to have wonder. And so it, it, it really goes hand in hand with this idea of the testimony, right? In Austin, I think two weeks ago, he broke down the idea of we can't simply have a testimony of when we came to faith, which is awesome and we should share that. We need to have a testimony for today. Right? We can't maybe just share the story of 50 years ago when the Lord saved me. We need to have stories of what God is doing today, right? Do you guys remember this? Are you with me? Maybe a little head nod so I don't have to stay there long. But, um, and then last week he broke down, that, I, and which I just love, that it's the testimony. It can't simply be for the church community. It can't simply be for within these walls. We have to be willing with what God is doing in our life to step into the brokenness and the suffering around us. Like you don't, you don't light a candle and put it under a bowl. I think that was a verse that he referenced last week. And so um, one of the things that I love about this series and what I love about the testimony is worship is really just singing your testimony. Am I right? Yeah, the worship guy's making a tie to worship in a series of a wonder too many. And yes, so if you can guess, see, I'm curious what you think we're gonna talk about today. I'll give you two thumbs up. Ready, set, go. Yeah, yes, so good. I'm so proud of you guys. Um, But it's gonna be fun because today we're not gonna talk through worship through the context of a piano or electric guitar or lights or whatever we're doing here. We're gonna talk through the lens of the Old Testament, through the priests, through the tabernacle, through the sacrifices and the the hopes that as we look at the Old Covenant, we'll know more more about the New Covenant. But to know who I'm talking to, uh, a quick poll, how many of you, aside from your reading plan, that you probably find yourself in right now, how many of you naturally gravitate towards Old Testament? Personal time. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. Not a ton. That's okay. Now let's, let's make it even a little harder. Let's say you remove the Psalms and First and Second Samuel. Who's reading the Old Testament? Okay, a couple. Now, any of you out there just like Leviticus? Okay, swing the other way. How many of you really, and it's safe because this is church, right? How many of you can't stand it? Leviticus. Anyone bold? Put your hand up. Come on, don't be shy. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, so that's okay. But I personally expect when I get to heaven, because I like Leviticus, some Levitical crown that the Lord gives me. And he goes, thanks for the energy and the effort you put into reading Leviticus. It was worth something. So we're going to look. 
in Leviticus. It's going to be awesome today. Um, but I want to I just give three really quick points to why reading the Old Testament is so beneficial and why we do it. First, 2 Timothy 3.16, verse 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the Christians, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, if it's in here, we know it's inspired by God. Amen? And therefore, it is a benefit to us. Right? The second one is Psalms 119, verse 160. It says that the sum of his word is truth. The sum of God's word, all of it together. So everything, we can't just read the book of John and Romans and Ephesians. We have to look throughout the whole text because when you take all of it from Genesis to Revelation, you put it together, that is what truth is, right? And then I love this in Hebrews 10 verse 1, the author of Hebrews, he says that the law or the old covenant or the Old Testament or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it says it is simply a shadow of the better things to come. And so if I could give you a thesis statement this morning, I would say this, that we are going to look at the shadow, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Torah, with the hopes that as we look at the shadow, we get a better understanding of the substance, the substance being God, right? Does that feel good? So if you guys would, would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit, and then we'll jump into the text. Lord, we welcome you. God, we just turn our hearts to you, and we just ask that as we open up your word and as we Um, look throughout the whole Bible. We just ask that it would jump off the page and it would change us and challenge us. And as we read the word, would it read us? God, would our hearts be quick to turn and repent if there's any, anything in us that is off? So God, would you, would you point out anything in us that offends you? And would would you lead us along the path of everlasting life? It's in your mighty name. Everyone said, Amen. amen. Okay, grab your Bible or you can follow along on the screens or in the Bible app, but go to Leviticus chapter one, verse one. Come on, like when was the last time you went to a sermon and that's the opening passage? Leviticus one, verse one. We're gonna start reading. It says this, it says, now the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. What? Wow. All right, here we go. I know some of you guys are already probably falling asleep, but the reason why I grabbed that verse and I think the benefit of it is one, we're going to be looking Leviticus chapter one through Leviticus five, but I think it's a perfect picture of what the old covenant looked like. If you guys look again, you see that God is within this place called the tent of meeting. He's with a tent and he calls to a man named Moses to one man. And then that one man's job is to relay the voice of God to all the people. And then we also see that the offerings there are physical animals from your livestock, your herd, or from your flock. And so what we're going to do is to get a really good understanding of the Old Covenant, I want to break down three things for you guys. This is all in Leviticus, but three things that are really important for us so that when I say Old Covenant or Old Way of Worship or the law, we all have kind of the same grid, okay? So the first one, I guess, starting before that, that we need to understand is if we think of Old Testament tactics for a holy, righteous, just, perfect God, To dwell among sinful people, there needed to be ways or systems of purification so that the holiness of God would not consume the sin of man, right? We know in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And so we know that in the Old Testament, for God to come down from the heavens and dwell among man, you had to set up systems of of purification so that as you got closer to God, you were more pure and more holy so that you would not die in the presence of holiness, okay? 
So God implemented three things to do that. And the first one is the priests. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, the priests were, were simply people chosen from the tribe of Levi. If you think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, and that one of those sons was named Levi. And so God chose the Levites, or from the tribe of Levi, to be priests. And their role was, they, they just worked in the tabernacle. They were a little bit like the olden day pastor. Their full-time job was, it, was in the tabernacle, and they would help with sacrifices, They'd help with systems of purification. They would, they would help with just basic upkeep of the tabernacle. They had no inheritance in the land, as in they didn't have animals. They didn't have land to work. They worked full-time in the tabernacle. And then one of those priests chosen by God was the great high priest who we'll get into later. So those are priests, and they would basically just help communicate between Israel and God. Second thing we got to know is the tabernacle. And when I say the tabernacle, I specifically mean the temple of Moses, not the tabernacle of Solomon. And the temple of Moses, it was erected. It was a very mobile tent. And there was basically a fence on the outside with an eastern gate and all of Israel was along the outside. And at the center of what would be the outer courts was a massive altar. And that's where sacrifices took place. You'd put your animal on, on the altar, you would sacrifice it, and it would cleanse people from their sin. And so that was the outer courts. And it was just, it was just like a, a fence around the outside. And then if you went one step deeper into a tent, it was called the holy place. And it was separated by a veil and only priests were allowed to enter that. So the, re, the regular Israelite, the regular Hebrew was not allowed to enter. So the Levites would go in and there was this there was this showbread and this golden lampstand and an altar of incense in there, and there was no natural light, and the Levites were able to go in because as they would go into the holy place, they would have to make sacrifices for their own sins. And then if you went one step further inside, you reached the holy of holies or the most holy place. And this was separated by a four-inch veil, and there was no natural light, and the Ark of the Covenant was in there, and God himself Jehovah Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, dwelled there in a pillar of smoke and fire. And then once a year, that great high priest, he would put on this thing called an ephod. It was like a robe or an apron, and it had 12 beautiful stones placed on it to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would tie a rope around his ankle, and there were bells at the bottom of his garment. And he would enter through the veil, and he would behold the glory of the Lord in all his fullness. And the bells existed so that as he walked around in the holy place, you could hear the bells because there was a fear that if the bells stop, there's a chance that he was consumed by God's holiness and they actually would have the rope to be able to pull his body out. And once a year on the day of atonement, the great high priest would enter in and he would minister to the Lord in all his smoke and fire, beauty and wonder. Can you imagine? So that's the tabernacle. And then we have these sacrifices that God implemented for our sake, for the people's sake. And I want to, there are five main sacrifices and basically Leviticus chapter one hits one all the way through Leviticus five. And I want to share these five with you. The first one that we see in Leviticus is the burnt offering. And this is probably what most of you guys are familiar with when you think of Old Testament offerings. And this is, it's the sacrifice of a spotless animal, either a lamb, goat, sheep, or bird, depending on what the family had. And what they would do is they would bring this animal into the outer courts of the tabernacle. They would place it on the altar and you would set your hands on the spotless, blameless animal. And what it signified was the transfer of sin because if you remember in the Old Testament, if you were clean and you were touched by something unclean, you were defiled. Jesus comes and he flips the script and he can be clean and he brings his cleanliness to that which is unclean. But you'd lift this animal up and you'd signify the transfer of sin and then you would slaughter this animal. 
and you'd, you'd throw the blood along the side of the altar. And what that did is it temporarily satisfied the wrath and the justice of God. So that was the first sacrifice seen in Leviticus 1. And then we see Leviticus 2 is the grain offering. And this is simply the, it's offering the labor of your hand. It's bringing flour or grain to the Lord. This was really popular with kings. And this is also what the priests ate. They would take a percentage of it. And so you would just give a percentage of of your toil, of your work. The next one is the peace offering. This is Leviticus 3. And this one is, um, this is the free will offering. This is the vow offering. This is when all of the offerings were given, you could give this. And I think the best example of this is, is Hannah in, this, in the Old Testament. She's, she's crying out to God and she says, would you give me a son? And, and she says, if you do, I will dedicate him to the temple. And then we see the prophet Samuel is born through Hannah. And that is how he is raised and grew up in the temple because she made a vow with the Lord. He blessed it. And so then she just gave it. That's the example of the peace offering or the free will offering. Leviticus 4 breaks down the sin offering, and this, is, this actually just purified the sanctuary. Because if you think a holy God among sinful people, even the tabernacle in which he dwelt could become defiled. And this also covered sins of omission or unintentional sins or sins that you didn't even know, because if you have read some of the Old Testament, there are so many laws. And then finally, the trespass offering in Leviticus 5, and this was for the repayment of money for unintentional sins in fraudulent transactions. But what we need to know is that all of these sacrifices were happening morning and evening, every day but the Sabbath, all the time, for years and years and years. And you would just, you would do these sacrifices, and that, that made a way for the God of heaven and earth to dwell among sinful people. And then we also need to understand that this was always designed for the family unit. It was always designed for what the family had. God did not require, if you did not have a sheep or a lamb, he did not require a sheep or a lamb. Okay, Wow. Tons of information, right? Let's put this in a little bit more of modern terms. Let's think about it this way. So we are Good Shepherd Church family, right? And there's, there's a few hundred of us in here or whatever. We're not like Israel and we have a million people. Um, and so instead of doing sacrifices morning and evening every day, let's say we did sacrifices on Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. And let's say, and let's say instead of Christ coming, praise God that he did and he did. I'm not, let, let's pretend he didn't. But God wanted to welcome the whole world into the family of faith. But he said, I'm going to keep the old covenant. I'm going to keep the way of sacrifices. And so we all put our faith in, in, in God, but we still have to do sacrifices and stuff. So it'd be like any other Sunday. And, and you're, you're getting your kids ready and you're grabbing breakfast and you jump in the car and you put it in reverse. And as you pull out of the driveway, you, crap, you don't have the goat. Like you need to bring the goat or the lamb because it's sacrifice time here at Good Shepherd. So you come rolling in and instead of normal cars, you see a bunch of trailers and cages. And you have staff people who are like trailers to the right, trucks to the left, and they're, they're motioning you in and you come and you pick up your goat out of the back seat, whatever. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I was, I was really wrong with this. And, it, and you pick up the goat and you put a leash on it and you walk it into the church. And there's all of you. Think of how many goats and sheep and birds and doves would be in here. And there's probably poop all over the hallway floor. And, and you walk in and, and you're talking and you're socializing. But in this main auditorium space, there's a veil that cuts all the way around, along the outside. And none of you guys are allowed to enter. Only the staff who would be considered priests. And we can enter, and this is the holy place. And, and so you walk around, you're welcome to go into the classrooms in the hallway, and you go into the family room, and there's this massive altar, right? Massive altar, and you come and you pick up your sheep and you set it on and you put your hands and you grab your kids and they put their hands on this and then, and then Cheree, 
grabs a knife and she slits the lamb's throat and then Tim grabs the blood and he throws it along the side and, and then Matt grabs a match and she just lights the whole thing up and it's boom and your sins are now forgiven and so you socialize and it's like, we'll be back next week. I only have a dove to give next week. But this whole time, you're very curious of the veil that separates the auditorium. And then, and then we as a staff, we as priests, we're able to come in freely to the holy place and we offer sacrifices here. And there's the showbread and the gold lampstand and the altar of incense and all these things. And then along this stage though, the rim of it is a four inch veil that separates and there's no natural light. And on stage here is considered the most holy place or the holy of holies. And Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dwells here in a pillar of smoke and fire. And then once a year, our high priest Austin, <laughs> poor guy, puts on this robe and it has all these gems and stones that represent the family of Good Shepherd. And, and then we tie a rope around his ankle and it's like, dude, I really hope we did all the right sacrifices. <laughs> Day of Atonement's here, and he, he goes into the veil, and, and he, he beholds the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of God. All while us as a staff are like, God, please, please, would you, I hope that no one cut him off this morning and a curse word slipped out of his mouth, because if, if he's in the presence of holiness, he could be consumed. And he comes out and his face shines as he beheld the glory of the Lord. Guys, can you imagine? No, like, can you imagine if that is still what church looked like? Can you imagine if you were bringing an animal every single week and your whole experience of God was veiled? Your whole experience, your whole understanding of God was veiled. And there's a side of me that when I even think of that, there's, there's a side of jealousy. I'm like, why does Austin get greater access to God than I do? But then there's a side of fear that I'm like, I don't want greater access to God. You know what I'm saying? And, but think about it. You guys wouldn't be able to hear the beauty of his voice. You wouldn't feel the nearness of his presence. You wouldn't feel the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Your whole understanding of God would be veiled. So my response to that is praise the Lord for Jesus. Amen. Come on, church, like praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that Jesus came, that he hung upon a cross for us, and he split the veil in half so now that we can have access. Amen? Amen. I love this. The author of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, he says this. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Amen, amen. Hebrews seven nineteen. he even says that it is a better hope which is introduced through which we now can draw near to God. And then finally, Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, it says this. And remember, he was speaking to Jewish people who just lived what I described to you. And he says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. With it, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Guys, this is the new and living way. This is the new covenant. Praise God for the new covenant. Like the problem's been solved. Christ came, God made a way, the veil has been torn. 
praise God. But I find it unique as I kind of look and I study the offering and the sacrifice. And there seems to me that there is one sacrifice, there's one offering that comes up in the Old Testament, but also sneaks its way into the New Testament. And it doesn't die like the rest. And David, the man after God's own heart, he, he, he understood this and prophetically spoke to this. Psalms 141 verse 2. He says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalms 116 verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. Psalms 50 verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. And to the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Psalms 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God you will not despise. Psalms 107, 22, let them offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. And now we enter the New Testament, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brother, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then the author of Hebrews finishes while speaking on the same topic. In verse 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let me tell you right now, the offering that is both available and still required today under the new covenant is that of worship. It's that it's, it remains, it stayed through all the way. It is worship. This is the better and new and living way. This is the new covenant. But I think there's a danger and the danger is that for many of us, God does not receive that offering. He doesn't receive that offering. Let's put it again into modern, modern thought. So instead of you raising a lamb, nurturing it, caring for it, protecting it, watching over it, lifting it into the truck, closing the hatch, driving down, lifting it out, putting a leash on it, bringing it into the church, setting it on the altar, laying your hands on it, slaughtering it for your sins, your trespasses, your shortcomings. Instead, we show up to church and we offer God nothing that costs us anything. We just come in. And we offer him who is worthy of everything, nothing. And I just wonder how long God waits how long God waits to receive that which is rightfully his. And guys, I'm, I'm genuinely fearful that there will be a moment when we reach the end of this life and we enter into the next and we'll stand before the living, breathing God and he will give us a revelation of all the praise that was rightfully his that we ourselves chose to, withheld, to withhold. All the praise that was rightfully his that we chose to withhold, whether it was divine protection that we just, we just thought was fate. The car accident that that seemed, seemed like nothing, but really it was the angels of the Lord surrounding you. Or maybe it was the supernatural provision in your life that you just deemed as natural. Or it's just the truth that Psalms 3.5 says that I lay down and I slept and I woke for the Lord sustained me. And so if there's breath in your lungs, then he's worthy of praise. And I just wonder if we get to the end of our lives and we'll see a list of, of protection and provision and faithfulness and kindness of God, and we'll see that we just chose to withhold praise. 
whether it was because of selfishness or pride or, or a lack of awareness, whatever it may be, praise that was rightfully his that we ourselves withheld. And so he waits, and I wonder how long he waits. And, and the, the sad reality is that worship today just doesn't cost us anything. Old Testament, it required something of you. It was, it was costly, but today it doesn't. And for, for many church communities, it's a benefit to you. It's not a cost to you, right? We'll do, we'll do everything in our power to make it as comfortable and as enjoyable, and we'll put the best voices and the best musicians and the best lighting and the best graphics, and we do everything, and we cater to the congregant instead of focusing on ministering to the king. And I think the danger and the fallout of this is that some Christians now have the mindset that it is the duty of the pastor, the worship leader, or the person giving the ex exhortation to convince you to worship. And then if, his, if their convincing is not swaying enough, over time, we do things to try to escape worship. It could be as simple as you start showing up late on a Sunday morning. It's, it's unintentionally intentional. Or you worship starts and you hear that the music has started and you're in the hallway in a conversation and, and instead of rushing in to offer something to the king, you linger a little long. Now, oh, I'll join him on the second song. Or you come in and you have your wonderful donut. Praise the Lord for donuts. But you have your coffee and your donut and instead of setting them down and participating in worship, it's like, I'll, I'll join him in a little bit. This is just too wonderful. Or we come in and, and we, we cross our arms and we simply watch. We simply watch what's happening on stage. And the result is him who is worthy of everything receives nothing. And so let me say this in the most loving and the most pastoral way as I know how. When we do what I just mentioned, we intentionally linger in the hallway. We, though we don't really have to go to the bathroom, we go to the bathroom. Or we are unwilling to set our coffee down. Whatever it may be, when we do this, guys, it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And it's not heartbreaking because my ego gets a kick when people are engaged in worship. No, 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 no. Let, hear me right now. Remember that the old covenant, the seeking and the worship of God was done by priests on behalf of you. And now we enter the new covenant and there's grace and there are no requirements. Remember this. So the danger is and the heartbreaking reality is that for many of us, we are resorting to the most sorrowful and the most negative aspect of the old covenant all while exploiting and taking advantage of the new. And what I mean by this is that we would come into a church service and we would allow the worship to our God to be done by someone else for us. We'd let, we'd let the, the worship leader sing and he sings, let him sing. Or the, the, my mom beside me, she's, she's a worshiper, I'm, I'm not. And, and we resort to old covenant tactics, all while hiding under the freedom of this new grace covenant, that God requires nothing of me. Guys, that is the danger for so many of us today, because now we don't have to bring a lamb in. We don't have to lift it into the back of our truck. Instead, now we come in and, yeah, I'll let, I'll let them sing. For, we can't, this cannot be. And this cannot be because simply I'm saying it. This cannot be because it's the word of the Lord. Look at the author of Hebrews. He's saying, now all of us with confidence can draw near to the throne of grace. Why? Because he made a way through his own blood. His own blood. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I heard those words, as I was prepping for this, this sermon, as I heard those words of resorting to old covenant tactics while hiding into the freedom of the new, it felt strong. It felt heavy. It felt intense. It felt 
almost condemning. And I, and I, like, I immediately thought, even as I was worshiping with you guys this morning, I'm like, but Good Shepherd worships well. Like, they sing, they lift their hands, they participate, they show up for encounter nights. Like, like I don't, I'm not maybe seeing what you're seeing, Lord. And as I began to pray on it, I began to feel the heart of God behind the words of God. And God's heart was not a condemning, ill-willed, like, let me just bring heavy correction for no reason. It's the loving, tender voice of a father calling people to a place of intimacy. He's saying, I, I want intimacy. I want intimacy. Don't resort to old covenant tactics. That's that, that which I removed. And don't hide under the freedom that comes with that, what we have in place of the new covenant. It was the tender voice of a father. And if I can be honest with you guys, if, if you find yourself in this room and that resonated with you, it's, it's not because I don't think for us as humans, we're intentionally, right, hiding under the freedom of the new covenant while resort. Like that's not often an intentional choice, but I think the problem is that it's, it's the natural bend. And humans, it's the flesh within us. The, the flesh loves comfort. It loves passivity. It loves apathy. And so it's a natural bend for us to move to that which is comfortable. And so I want to challenge all of us as a community. And specifically, I want to challenge the men in the room first. Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, Adam and Eve, right? And they ate of this forbidden fruit. And, and what we see there is this, this disobedience and rebellion. And I would say that that is, the, that is the great sin of the garden. But I would argue with you guys that that is not the first sin in the garden. I would say the first sin was passivity and apathy, because look at Genesis 3. Eve finds herself alone in a garden with the deceiver. And where is Adam? Where is Adam? He's nowhere to be found. Her leader, her protector, her co-laborer, and her guardian is nowhere to be found. Instead, he is passive. And then when she brings the forbidden fruit to Adam to offer it to him, what is his response? Apathy, and he takes it and he takes a bite. Lack of leadership, lack of presence, passive and apathetic. And guys, if I can be honest with you, men in the room, I think there's a tendency in our hearts to slip to a passive place of worship. And we slip to this apathetic, I'm not gonna show my passion. I'm not gonna show my emotion. I love John Tyson. He says this, he says, after watching the World Cup, I am convinced that men sing and you can't argue otherwise. <laughs> Because 90 minutes, men have their arms wrapped around each other and they're singing at the top of their lungs. And then often when we enter the church, it's like, I'm not, I'm not really the emotional type. Or, and I, I just got to tell you guys, men in the room, do not simply be a leader in how you provide. Do not simply be a leader in being a, a stronghold or a foundation that your family can stand on. Don't simply be the protector. Be a leader in how you worship. Be a leader in how you offer your love to the Lord in song. Be the one who extends your hand higher than anyone else. I'm just, I'm reminded of this as a kid, that as a pastor's kid on the front row, all of us siblings, all three of us, we just knew worship starts, you take two big steps to the right. And the reason why is because both my parents. <laughs> clothesline. Like, you just learn, Right? But what that shows, dependence, love, affection, desire, humility, when they lifted their hands, what it models to us as a kid, as we watch and we, we dodge swings, is it reveals dependence. And so men, don't simply be a leader in, in your love for the word of the Lord. Be a love for the person of God. 
Don't simply, don't simply be a leader in, in providing and protecting. Be a leader in how you worship. And then my call for the rest of us as a community is that we would steward these gatherings well, and we would, we would not resort to bringing nothing. And I love this. This is such a beautiful thing about the Old Testament and the sacrifices and the offerings is that God only required that which what the individual or the household had. So, Maybe you find yourself this morning and you're like, I'm, I'm broken, I'm tired, I'm hurting, I'm knocked down, I, I do feel destroyed. Then all that God requires of you in these Sunday gatherings is that. And you come and you, God, my heart's broken. That's all I can offer you. God, I'm tired. That's all I can offer you. God, I'm, 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 I, don't, I don't know what's going on in life right now, but I offer it to you. Or maybe you're on the other side of life and you're just, it's so good. You're, you're just ecstatic. It's so fun. And you bring your joy and share it and pour it out freely in the gathering of the saints. All that is required is that which you have. And then maybe you find yourself somewhere in the middle and you're like, so I'll be honest with you, Caden. I've never been to church. I don't know who Jesus is. And this sermon was very confusing. <laughs> if that is you this morning, all that is required of you is to go, God, here's my question. I don't know who you are. Jesus, I don't, I don't know what you did, but here, I, I, just, I just give that to you freely because all that God requires is that which we have, that which we have. Because the hope is that as we steward these gatherings well and we come on Sunday ready to give an offering, that our, our worship would be more than just singing a song on a Sunday, that, but they would turn to what Romans 12 and Hebrews 13 are, that our whole lives would be an offering to the Lord that every aspect of it, from the way we steward finances to the way we parent kids, to the way we work, whatever it may be, that every aspect of it would be pleasing to God. Because what would it look like and how fun would it be is when worship started, if you're out in the hallway with the conversation, it's like, hey, hold up, I have an offering to give to a king. And then we just all come in here and it's we have all our own testimonies that we've been stewarding over the week of God protected me in this situation. He brought me through in this business deal. He watched over my family here. And, and then we come with all of our own offerings and we just pour it out freely in the gathering of the saints. Can you imagine the aroma that would rise to the heart of God? We keep saying and, and praying that this would be a place where God longs to dwell. And what a better way than when we all come in and we just go, God, I don't have much, but here it is and I pour it out freely. I pour it out freely. I participate. I don't resort to old covenant tactics. I'm not gonna hide under the freedom that comes with the new covenant. I'm going to bring the modern offering. And if I wanna finish with this, but the, the, the sad truth is I could sing, I could dance, I could jump, I could shout, and I could read every verse in the Bible that argues that God deserves your worship and it may not change your mind. And for us, for all of us, what we need is a deeper revelation of the gospel. We need a better understanding of what Jesus did for us. So I wanna close with one story and it's in the Old Testament and it's about an offering and it comes from Exodus 12 and it's the story of the Passover. I know many of you are familiar with it, but Israel has been enslaved for 400 years up to this point and they've been crying out for deliverance and then God raises up a man named Moses and, and he brings them before Pharaoh and God shows his miraculous power over and over and over and up to this point there's been nine times nine times where God has he's put blood in the Nile and darkness over the land and sores and flies and gnats and then we get to the 10th plague and God says I'm going to strike down 
everyone in the land, all the firstborn in the land, both, both man, female, animal, those in the courts of Egypt to the slums in Israel, I will strike down all the firstborn unless the Israelite people took a perfect spotless lamb, slaughtered it, and then took the blood of that lamb and smeared it on the doorpost so that when the angel of death came by and they would see the blood of the lamb, they would pass over everyone in the house. And guys, we know that that's, that's prophetic imagery of the coming Christ. That was prophetic imagery of Jesus, the perfect lamb, hanging on a cross and his blood being smeared on two pieces of wood. And now we know as Christians, if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, we will be saved and death will not come to us. But I would challenge and I would say that the the purpose of the Passover was not simply prophetic imagery. And it wasn't even just, just to, to reveal God's power to all of the world. It wasn't, it wasn't just to lead Israel out of slavery and it wasn't just to stick it to Egypt and bring justice to them. I would challenge and I would say that the purpose of the Passover was to lead Israel to a place of intimacy. Exodus 3.12. God reveals this to Moses at the burning bush and he says, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And the word serve there is particular to Levitical priestly duties of worship. And even, even, even the Pharaoh says it to Moses. He says, take your people and worship. And so the purpose of the Passover was not simply to reveal God's power, it was to lead Israel to a place of intimacy where God, where he would be their God and God would be their people and he would dwell among them. And so he set up systems of purification. And then in our flesh as humans, we corrupted a system of the old covenant and God sent a better system, right? And we see now Jesus who comes and he hangs upon a cross in his blood and smeared. Now we can put our faith in that cross and we will be saved. We will be saved. The purpose of both the old covenant was intimacy. The purpose of the new covenant also was intimacy. It wasn't just salvation, wasn't just freedom, it was intimacy for his people. And so our only response can be worship. Our only response can be praise. So we're gonna, we're gonna go to a time of communion and like Israel, they had to put their faith in the blood of a lamb smeared on a doorpost and we now put our faith in the table, the elements. We remember of God's body that was broken for us and we remember that his blood was spilled for us so that we might be saved, so that we might have intimacy with God. And so we're all gonna take communion kind of on your own or with your family unit, but my challenge to you is I want you to ask the question, have I been resorting to old covenant tactics by letting the worship and the seeking of God to be done for me by someone else, all while hiding under the freedom that comes with this new grace covenant. And if that is you, simply repent. Lord, we just thank you for the blood. Lord, we thank you for the body that was broken for us so that we might have communion with you. Lord, we are grateful. We're thankful for the sacrifice that was made so that we might have communion. Lord, we love you. It's in your mighty name.